Won't you join me as we pray this morning? Father, as we've come to you this morning just to be able to sing to you and worship you through song, we thank you this morning for this place. We thank you for giving us the chance to come together each and every week. But Lord, on this particular Sunday, we thank you for the uniqueness about this Sunday. Because every Sunday is different. Every Sunday, Lord, you have a word for us. Every Sunday, God, you have something you want to say to us. Every Sunday, Holy Spirit, you're working in us in different ways, in unique ways, in ways that sometimes we don't understand or imagine. But God, there are things that you want to raise to the level of the attention of our minds. There are specific things you want to speak into our hearts. There are things that, God, you want to uh, remind us of, whether it's to be convicted by sin in our lives or encouraged, Lord, when we walk into this room, discouraged. God, we thank you for the gift of prayer, the time that we can come like this and to talk to you, Lord, in a personal way. We understand and know this morning, Lord, that you're not a God that is somehow busy and distracted by all the billions of things going on around the world that, Lord, your attention is on. But somehow, some way, your focus is on us this morning. Somehow, some way, your ears are open to us today. And somehow, some way, Lord, that you want to be near to us in a personal way. It's hard for us to understand or imagine. We'll never understand or imagine that, Lord. But Lord, if we can come to you, the God of the universe, the God of who created all things, and talk to you, and you speak to us, and we have this conversation with you, Lord, what it communicates to us this morning is that you care about us. You care deeply about us. We're not some forgotten individual or group of individuals that, Lord, have somehow been created and we're far from you, but, Lord, instead, we're near to you. And you want to have this personal relationship with us, and you've done so through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we thank you this morning, God, for Jesus. Thank you for sending him into the world. Thank you for sending him, Lord, to save us. Thank you for sending him here to, Lord, giving us the, giving us the, the voice to be able to sing songs to you, giving us the ability to come into this room knowing that we have, Lord, not a hope that is lost, but a hope that is found. Lord, you have given us a living hope. And no matter what we go through and experience in this life, Lord, you have given us a finish line. And that finish line is found only because of what you did on the cross and from the grave, Jesus. So we thank you this morning for it. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here today as well and in our hearts, in our minds. You are very present in this room. We just invite you this morning, Spirit of God, to speak to us, to move in us, to fill us. Because we want to be a spiritual people. We're not here, Lord, to elevate ourselves or to put, somehow put the attention upon us, but, Lord, to put the attention on you. And, Holy Spirit, you're the one who does that, the one who awakens our minds, who opens our hearts and our minds to manifest the presence of Jesus here among us. And so we just pray that you, Holy Spirit, would have your way in our hearts and in our minds. Have your way in this time that, Lord, not only have we been able to sing and, and worship you, Lord, but also to hear your word, to speak into our lives, to give us the courage to respond to what you say to us this morning. So, Lord, we just pray that 
by way of your Holy Spirit, that you would awaken our minds and lead us to obedience, lead us to, Lord, the call that you place upon our lives, and then give us the courage to follow it. And this is what we pray this morning, God. We believe you're real and believe that you're in this room with us this morning, so God, encourage us and lead us down the pathway of knowing you fully and knowing your will fully in our lives and giving us the ability to carry out your will. And we just pray these things before you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, it's good to be back with you. I missed you last Sunday. I was with you or with our kids last Sunday in Virginia, and uh, we were celebrating, of course, uh, my oldest son and my daughter-in-law, their graduation from Liberty University, and we were at uh, a church called Highland Heights Baptist Church, great church that they're a part of and that have invested in my kids, and uh, we were there last Sunday morning, and uh, but my mind was with you, and I missed you. Um, but uh, it was good to, uh, to be there with our family. And, of course, we flew back late, late, Sunday night into Monday morning. So it was a long weekend. Um, but it's, uh, it's good to be back with you. Of course, you were in good hands. And Dr. Steve Rizell was here. He's a friend of our church. He was, of course, the interim pastor here before I arrived and has been here several times and is just a good friend of Central Baptist. Prays for us often. Um, he and I speak very often about all things Central Baptist, and uh, he is, of course, praying for us from a, from a distance, but also just very, very near to, uh, to our community, right? He's in, in and out of Livingston all the time. But this morning, we're going to be in, in uh, Joshua chapter 22, and I want to encourage you to take a Bible and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, to grab one out of the seat backs in front of you, and you can join us there. Um, we're just a few weeks away from Joshua, uh, finishing Joshua, and on Sunday mornings, and then we're going to be moving into a short summer series and we'll be in a couple series, actually, before uh, we move into the fall. Um, got some things planned for us this fall on Sunday mornings. But we're just a few weeks away from, uh, from finishing the book of Joshua. And man, what, it, what an incredible um, journey it, is, it has been to, uh, to walk through the book of Joshua together. And we're going to see kind of here at the end just how the culmination of what God has wanted to teach us as a church you know, God is a word for each of us as individuals, but in the book of Joshua, there is a word that God has for us as a church, and we need to be always cognizant and mindful of what God is saying to us through that. When you think about Canaan, you think about where we are in the book of Joshua, we've come through, of course, the conquest. We've come through, the rather, the, the preparation phase and the conquest, and then, of course, the, the allotment of the land, and here we are toward the end of Joshua. When you think about Canaan for the Israelites, Canaan in a lot of respects represented God's incredible blessing. I mean, they hadn't earned it. They hadn't deserved it. What is it as though that, that God's people had been um, somehow really good and had earned Canaan? But when you think about Canaan and the lives of God's people, God had been had made this place a place of blessing. He had given it to them. He had fought for them. He had given them the action plan as to how they were to live their lives. And just think about what they had been through. They had been prepared as they came to the Jordan River together. They crossed the Jordan River together as a people. They had come into the promised land, had fought battles together. They had victory after victory together. They also had failed together. They had conquered the land together in every respect. The question is, now what? Because all the fighting is over, to the, the large-scale fighting is over. There's still battles that should be fought that they're actually not going to fight. 
But the large-scale battles of conquering and possessing the, 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 the promised land, Canaan, had come to fruition. God had given them the land, and he had given them this rest, and they had now experienced this rest together. The question is now what? What are they going to do now? I think when it comes to our lives, we just celebrated one of those a moment ago. You know, when it comes to our lives, we think about the victories or we think about these defining moments, these memorable moments in our life that, are, that shape our lives. They, they shape who we are. They shape where we're going, right? Maybe it's the birth of a child. It could be that moment as a Christian that you find another Christian and you, you love that Christian, you end up marrying that Christian. Uh, it could be a moment in which you celebrate the graduation of someone, right, as we just did over the weekend and here this morning. We have these moments in our life that shape our lives, these big crossroads in our lives. Sometimes they are positive crossroads, sometimes they're negative. For example, when you lose a spouse, that's a crossroads in your life because you don't prepare for it, you don't really expect it. And you can't understand fully what life is like after and what life is like in the aftermath of losing a spouse that maybe you've been married to for many, many years, and now you find yourself in a season of life where you don't know fully what to do with your life. Day to day, you didn't expect what life would look like for you, but it's a crossroads, and sometimes they're negative crossroads, right? It could be the, the death of a, uh, not just a spouse, but also of a child. I mean, that's extremely hard to walk through. So we come to these crossroads in our lives, we, these defining moments in our life, and I think one of the biggest crossroads in our life that we come to is when we give our lives to Christ. It's when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you then follow through with believer's baptism, and you begin to grow in the faith, you join a church, you're, you're joining a church, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're growing in the faith. That becomes the greatest crossroads we ever experience in our life. I think about uh, John chapter, nine, chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 is great two verses that remind us of, uh, of who God is and what God has done. Listen to these two verses. They're very familiar to us, but it tells us in, um, in verse 9 and 10, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy and I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Just think about that word abundantly for a moment. I mean, what God does is he promises an abundant life. We experience these moments of crossroads in our life, and the greatest moment of crossroads in our life is when we give our lives to Jesus Christ and we promise this abundant life. And the question is, how do we maintain that abundant life? God wants us to have that kind of abundant life. He promises us not only eternal life, but abundant life. So how do we maintain that abundant life? Well, I think maintaining that abundant life depends upon certain qualities or characteristics or things such as conditions that need to be cultivated in our life in order to, to maintain that kind of abundant life. And I think some of those conditions we see right here in the book of Joshua and all the way back in the Old Testament, before we even get to Jesus Christ, coming into the world as a baby and then promising us and bringing abundant life into our lives, we see certain conditions that what Joshua was telling these people here in chapter 22, 
If you cultivate these things in your life, then you can have an abundant life that God is pleased with and that you will experience the kind of blessing and rest and continue to experience those things as God sees fit. I want you to look with me at uh, verse 1 of chapter 22, and this is what it says. At that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers and as he promised them. Therefore turn and go to their tents, to your tents in the land which, where, where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Only be careful to observe the commandments or the commandment of the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all of his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. So Joshua blessed them. He sent them away and they went, went to their tents. Now to the one half of the tribe of Manassas, Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan. But to the other half, Joshua had given a possession beside their brothers in the land west of the Jordan. And when Joshua sent them away to their homes and blessed them, he said to them, go back to your tents with much wealth and with very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, iron, and with much clothing. Divide the spoil uh, of your, your enemies with your brothers so that the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh return home, parting from the people of Israel to Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, and to go to the land of Gilead and their own land of which they had possessed themselves by commands of the Lord through Moses. Conquest is over. The inheritance they've received God had fought for them. He, they had subdued the land, and now they have this rest. He's delivered them from all of this, this difficulty. He's delivered them from all of this war, if you will. The enemies that were, were encroaching upon them, he has delivered them time and time again, and now they've experienced rest, and now it's time to disband, and guess what? Get busy at living out the life that God's called them to live. It's time for them to get busy just simply following God following the Lord with their life, to get busy in their culture, in their communities, in their families as a people, to get busy following what God wants them to do and how to live their lives. And so Joshua comes to these two and a half tribes here at the beginning of chapter 22, two and a half tribes of Israel, and he comes to them and he reminds them to, that, that they have been faithful and he releases them from their commitment. He releases them from their commitment of what he, they had originally committed to do before. They had demonstrated unity. They had decided they were going to be a part of God's people. They weren't just going to break off and do their own thing once they had received their inheritance, but they were committed to the unity of God's people. And now they're going to return home to where they are. the rest of their families have been camped. And here at the beginning of chapter 22, as we just read a moment ago, at the beginning of chapter 22, Joshua praises them for their faithfulness. He praises them for their faithfulness. I want you to look with me again, the first three verses. There's three verses here at chapter 22. This is a group that in verse 1 had fought for Israel. Joshua had summoned them. 
It wasn't the first time we've seen this. In fact, all the way back in chapter 1, remember when before God's people come across the the Jordan River, there are two and a half tribes, and there in in chapter 1, verse 12, there are two and a half tribes that they decided they wanted this part of the Canaan to be their inheritance. And so before they cross the Jordan River, they ask, and you remember what Joshua says to them. He says to them, listen, I want you to come and you leave your families behind. You leave your livestock behind. You cross the Jordan with us. You're going to receive your inheritance here. But you cross and you fight for God's people. You fight with God's people because you be committed to unity. And so back in chapter 1, verse 12, listen to this. I've got it on the screens for us. And to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, This is what he says, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. And then he says, uh, can you see it on there? Yeah, your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. The land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the the Jordan toward the sunrise. This was the commitment that God's people, these two and a half tribes, had given to Joshua and to the people to go and to fight for the rest of God's people into the promised land. They had received their rest. They had received their inheritance, all of this. And they had this commitment. They had this, if you will, uh, choice to make as to whether they were going to break God's covenant and go and to live on their own or they were going to fight with Israel. And on that day, they commit themselves to the Lord. They commit themselves to the Lord's agenda. And they faith, They decide they're going to faithfully engage in God's work to take the land. And taking the land, they were loyal to Moses. They were then loyal to Joshua. And they are now loyal to God's people. They're committed to unity of God's people. And now their obligation is fulfilled. Here in chapter 22, this obligation is fulfilled. This commitment that they made is now fulfilled. And he praises them in these first three verses of our text this morning of their faithfulness to how they have followed through with this. And he praises them in four ways. Look at the text with me again. He says to them, you have kept all the Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. You have obeyed my voice and all that I have commanded you. Thirdly, you have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day. But here's the fourth thing he praises them for, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. He praises them for their faithfulness. Think about all that meant. I mean, I'm sure they missed their families. I'm sure they missed their wives and their children. And I'm sure they were itching to start their farms and their their kind of communities that they wanted to build up. But all of this time, they were committed to something that was bigger than themselves. Listen to me, church. That when God says to do something that's bigger than yourself, that's worth it. When God says and commands us to to, to commit to something that is bigger than ourselves, that's what God wants us to do. They were committed to something bigger than themselves. They were committed to following the Lord, following what God's people were doing. And that's just what you do when you follow God. When you follow the Lord with your life, you commit yourself to doing something. You commit yourself to a life that is much bigger than you, 
much bigger than your family, much bigger than you as an individual, much bigger than your needs, much bigger than, than the things that, that are your limitations. You commit yourself to something that is bigger than yourself. And this is what God's people were doing. These two and a half tribes were doing. They were committed to doing something and investing in something that was bigger than them. And it wasn't self-centered. It was commit, they were committed to something that was bigger than their own needs and their own desires and their own wishes. And so Joshua commits, praises them rather for their faithfulness. But here's the thing. Joshua praises them, and that praise soon leads to this charge if you see in verse 4. Look at verse 4 in your Bibles again. And now the Lord your God has given you rest to your brothers, and he has promised them. Therefore, turn. And then he begins to charge them, right? I mean, these key moments, these big events in our lives, they leave a mark in our lives, don't they? And Joshua wanted them to remember the power of God. He wanted them to remember all that God had done in their life and how he had manifested his power in them and through them. And so therefore, verse 4, and now the Lord your God has given you rest to, given rest to your brothers and he has promised them, therefore turn and go to the, your tents in the land of which your possession lies, which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Only be careful to observe the commandment that the law of the Moses, the law that Moses the servant of the Lord commanded you. And he's going to go on and he's going to explain this. He wanted them to remember the power of God that had been displayed in their lives. And so Joshua reminds them of this blessing. Why? So that they would not grow self-reliant. We are prone to grow self-reliant. We are prone that when God does something big in our life, just give us some time. Just give us some space. And we will... We, we, we will Ultimately, we are ultimately tempted to begin to drift back to ourselves. We're, we're tempted to drift back to who we are and our accomplishments, and we sometimes forget about what got us there. You with me? And Joshua wanted them to be reminded of God's power that was displayed in their life. God's power that got them through the promised land. God's power and blessing that gave them the promised land and gave them ultimately rest. And so he wanted them to not only remember the power of God, but he challenges them and he charges them to walk the way God wants them to walk. Joshua was reminding them of the blessing, not to grow self-reliant, not to grow self-centered. He wanted them to remember this was not something that they had earned. The promised land wasn't something they had earned. And think about all the ways in which God has blessed you in your life. Have you earned any of it? all the ways that God blessed you in your life. You may have worked really hard in your life and you may have, have put in the time and you may have put in the effort to build up that 401k and now you're living in light of all of the retirement you built up. Who gave you the job? Who gave you the career? Who gave you the opportunities? Remember back when God provided for you and blessed you. God gave you that husband. God gave you that wife. God gave you those children. God gave you those degrees. God gave you those opportunities. God gave you the money that you have. God gave you the possessions that you have. God gave you the home that you live in. He gave you the toys in which we play with, right? The, the boats and everything else. God gave you everything that God gives. God gave you everything that you and I enjoy. He gave you the heart that's beating inside of your chest. He gives you the breath in which you're breathing, the oxygen in this room in which you're breathing. God gives you everything. And he wants us to be reminded daily of his blessing upon our life, that he has promised us eternal life, but he's also promised this abundant life for us in our life. Why does he want us to be reminded of these things? Well, he wants us to put everything that he has given to us in context so that we do not begin to worship the money that God has given to us, 
so that we do not begin to worship the time and say and begin to think that it's our time instead of God's time that he gives us here on earth, so that we begin to not begin to take the freedoms in the body in which he's given to us and begin to think in terms that these things belong to us and they don't belong to God, so that we do not grow independent from God, but we continue to press into becoming more dependent upon him, that we begin to live for him, that we begin to follow him with our hearts. This is what Joshua is saying to them. He commends them. He praises them for their faithfulness. You lived up to your end of the bargain, now don't forget. When you go back to your land, when you go back to the land in which God's given you, this is how you live your life. And with that reminder, look at the verses with me again. Joshua charges them in multiple ways. He says, if you'll cultivate these five conditions in your life, if you'll cultivate these things in your life, then you will continue to enjoy the, the life that God has already given you and has blessed you with and has promised you. So look at verse 5 with me again. This is what he says. Verse 5 says, Only be careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God. Okay, now, where does that sound familiar? Well, we've seen it. We see it in the New Testament. We see it way back in the Old Testament. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, just think about what it says. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5 says this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Think about that in light of what Jesus, is, when he was asked the greatest commandment, right? In Matthew chapter 22, this is what he says in verse 37 and 38. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God. This is Jesus now speaking with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. Now think back to where we are in Joshua. What did Joshua just remind us God's people to do? Be careful to love the Lord your God in this way. So then he lays out these cult, he, he says, listen, if you'll cultivate these conditions in your society, in your culture, among your families, then things will go well for you. You will enjoy God's way of life. And the first one is this, love God. Just simply love God. The Lord in every fiber of your life, love the Lord. How? Well, when the Lord becomes the object of our affection, because here's the thing there are a lot of things that compete with the affections of your hearts sports, careers, family members, community stuff, money, possessions, you name it. Everything life, health, vacations, you name it. Fears. All of these things lead to these things to become affections of our heart. In other words, things that we devote ourselves to, things that we put our minds on, things that we devote the, the, the mental capacity of our minds that we, we are drawn to, things that we really, really love with our lives. Uh, it says, first and foremost, the Lord is to be at the head of that. He is to command the affection of our heart. That is to be the primary object of our affection. And how does the Lord do this? Well, he does this by way of his love. God is love. He doesn't develop love or have love like us. He is love. And so then it tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, that by way of the Holy Spirit, he pours his love into our hearts. Why? First and foremost, that we would love him. And so what God does is he loves us so that we would in turn love him and then love others. That's the plan. That's the way in which God wants to do this work in our life. The Spirit of God does this work in us. So when I give my life to Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God pours his love into my heart, and I have this incredible love for him 
to follow him, to listen to him, that he becomes the dominant voice in my life. He becomes the one thing that I pursue in my heart. He becomes the person in which I, 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 I begin to make my decisions in light of. What would the Lord Jesus Christ want? How would he live his life? How would he think in terms of how I should think about this situation that I'm in? It becomes the object of my affection. And what God's, or what Joshua rather says to his people here, these two and a half tribes, is simply love God. If you forget that, then all of it falls apart. If you begin to think about yourself more highly than the Lord in your life and in your society and in your culture, it will fall apart. Love God. But this is what he says secondly. Look in verse 5. Because in verse 5, he's unpacking these five things. Only be careful to observe the commandment of the Lord, the law, commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, and then here secondly, and to walk in his ways. You see these verbs? Love, walk, keep, cling, serve. Those are the ones you want to highlight in verse 5. Love God, and then secondly, walk. In other words, open your Bibles. Open your Bibles. Begin to read your Bibles. And every day, you choose what path you're going to follow? What is the path you're going to follow? Are you going to choose your way, humanity's way, or are you going to choose God's way? And the way that you choose God's way is you begin to open the Bible and you begin to read what the, God's way looks like and how you're supposed to think, how you're supposed to act, <clears throat> what kind of decisions you're supposed to make in your life, right? You begin to walk in God's ways. I can say this to you this morning. God's ways are never going to disappoint you. To follow God's way is not going, it's not going to lead to destruction. God's way is not going to lead to disappointment. God's ways are not going to lead to a place of, uh, of, of discouragement. God's ways are going to lead you to a place of encouragement. God's ways are going to lead to a place of success. God's ways are going to lead to a place of joy and of peace, contentment, of rest, this is how God, God's ways always lead to this, this destination. He doesn't promise that his way is easy. Sometimes there's going to be bumps in the road. Sometimes there's going to be difficulties along the way. But God promises that if you follow his way, it will always lead to success. On the flip side of that, if you follow man's way, it always leads to destruction. It may overpromise, but it will always underdeliver. It will overpromise and, and promise that, oh, this way sounds, sounds right, it looks right, it feels right, it smells right, and in the moment in time, it, 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 it feels right, it looks right. Logically, it makes sense, but it will always lead to the wrong things. God's ways versus man's ways. And this is what Joshua says to his people. Listen, to these two and a half tribes, if you'll walk in his ways, it will always lead you to the right way. Love God, walk in verse 5. But look else, look look at what else it says. To to walk in all of his ways and to keep his commandments. There's that verb keep to obey the word of God. Not just look at what the word of God says, but to keep the word of God, right? Obey what God's word says. That's at the heart of a relationship with God. That the heart of a relationship with God is not to know the right things but it's to do the right things. Like God can say, listen, I've revealed myself to you and I. 
I've shown you the path. I've provided all of these blessings. I've shown you that you can't do this on your own. But, but here's the thing. If, if I throw these things and I lay these things before you, and then you don't follow them, then, it's, then you, you're missing it. You're missing what it, what it means to have a relationship with me. It means to keep what God's word says, right? The key to an abundant life. This is at the, at the heart of every family, right? At the heart of our families, at the heart of our church, at the heart of us as individuals. God never chooses to do harm to us in that sense. He wants us to follow him, to keep his word. He wants you to follow his path. He wants you to go down the road that he wants you to follow. A good God cares about good commands, good commandments that lead us to good things. And so look at verse 5 again. We're to love God, we're to walk, we're to keep, and then we're to cling, right? And look at what it says in verse 5. And to walk in all of his ways and to keep his commandments and to what? Cling to him. Cling to him. That literally means to be glued to or stay stuck to, right? Hold on to in life is to hold on to the Lord in your life, to stay clinging to what, who he is. I'm either going to cling to the Lord, or guess what I'm going to cling to? I'm going to cling to myself. I'm going to cling to whatever makes sense, whatever logically makes sense down the road, or whatever I hear, or whatever I see. I'm going to cling to all kinds of things. I'm going to cling to dependence upon myself or dependence upon other things. But God wants me to cling to him, cling to him. And finally, look, it says to serve. Verse 5, Joshua says, listen, these two and a half tribes, if you'll cultivate these five things into your life, love the Lord your God, walk, keep, cling, and then to what? Serve. If you'll just simply serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul, things will go well for you. And you hold that kind of passion and fire in your gut towards God, and you serve him with abandonment, when you serve him fully and wholeheartedly with your life, nothing else can compete with that. Nothing else can get in the way of that. Joshua says, if you'll love God, if you'll walk, if you will keep, if you will cling, if you will serve him, these conditions in your life will lead to good things. It will lead to you experiencing the life that God has called you to, and once he had charged them, once he had commended them, once he had charged them, he then sends them home. You see that in verse 7? Now to the one and a half tribes of Manassas, Manasseh, Moses had given possession of Bashan, but to the other half, Joshua had given possession beside their brothers in the land west of the Jordan. And when Joshua sent them away to their homes and blessed them, he said to them, go, be, go back to your tents with much wealth and with every with very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, iron, and much clothing. He, he gave them everything, right? He gave them everything. And he said, go fulfill the responsibility that God has given to you and to his people. You've fulfilled your commitment. Now go enjoy your life. But listen, when you go back, live, live this way. And he releases them in verse 9, and he sends them home. I want you to notice something about the, the, the entire story. What Joshua tells them is not to do what? Joshua's primary advice to his people, to God's people, was not to go work hard. Go raise good families. Here, here's how you build a house. 
He didn't give them he didn't, he didn't give them instruction on how to make money. He didn't give them instruction on how to build small businesses or to do this or to that. God, Joshua's primary instruction to them all had to do with their relationship with who? The Lord. And the first and foremost in our life, the most important thing we need to understand, just as God's people here needed to understand by way of Joshua, is if they remained and they continued to have rest in the land, they had to maintain it and to have a maintain an abundant life, then they needed to make godliness a priority in their lives. They had to make godliness a priority. Because before you build a business, before you build a family, before you build a church, before you build communities, before you do anything, you got to pursue godliness. You got to pursue Him. The way in which we have an abundant life is not by way of the things that we build ourselves in this world, but by way in which how we, we follow the Lord Jesus Christ with our lives to love, to walk, to keep, to cling, and to serve. That's how we primarily maintain an abundant life. So listen, church, when we think about this text for us and how it applies to us, listen, you know, enjoying God's kind of life is conditioned on loving and obeying him. Enjoying the kind of life God wants us to have is conditioned on enjoying or loving and obeying him. I think if we cultivate the kind of conditions in our life, and we, it will lead to us maintaining that abundant life that God calls us to. So how do we cultivate that? I think we cultivate it in a variety of ways. I think we cultivate those things when we're young. It's important when we're young to begin to cultivate those things now. You learn to love the Lord your God now. Because I can assure you, if you're young in the room, there's a lot of issues coming ahead of you. There's a lot of problems and worries of the world that are coming ahead of you. There are a lot of challenges coming ahead of you. You can't learn to love the Lord your God when you're in the midst of all of those things. Learn it now. Learn to follow God now. Learn to cling to the Lord now. Learn to walk in his ways now. Learn to, 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 to follow the Lord now with your life. Learn to serve the Lord with your life now. And then when those things come, you'll be able to have an abundant life even through them. There's joy even through those things that come. So I think when, when we're young, we cultivate those things. But I think you cultivate those conditions when you experience failures in your life. I certainly have. When you experience failures in your life and difficult things in your life, you certainly cultivate those things. Failures and setbacks are going to come. They come for all of us. Maybe when you're young, you've even experienced those things now. But the promise of God's kind of life hasn't been taken away. It's still available. But it's conditioned on whether you choose to love the Lord and obey him with your life. If you choose to do that, if you choose to follow him fully with your life, you still get to enjoy the, God's, the kind of life that God gives you, even when you face adversity, even when you face failures in your life. Cultivate those things. Learn to cultivate those conditions in your life. You cultivate those conditions. Listen, if you're a parent in the room, you cultivate those conditions when you're moms and dads. You do that now within your children's lives, right? Reminded what it says in Ephesians chapter 6, great passage for dads, for, for kids and for moms. 
But listen to what it says. Children, obey your parents. This is Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long and in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And the primary responsibility and function of a dad and mothers alike is to raise your children up in the, in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. You take these five things, you teach them, and you drill into the lives of your children, into the lives of your students, to love the, love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and mind, and strength. You drill within their, into their lives, and you show them your failures and how you failed in this and how God has helped you walk through difficult seasons in your life. You drill within their lives this idea of walking with the Lord and the value of it, keeping God's word and the value of it, clinging to the Lord your God and the value of it, serving the Lord fully and wholeheartedly with your life and the value of it. And you drill that into their lives as children and as students so that it will go well for them when they get older. Because whether it's six months from now, a year from now, five years from now, 20 years from now, 40 years from now, they can look back on the fact that God used parents in my life to sow seeds in my heart that drew my affections not towards other things, but towards God himself. And God, through all of these seasons that I've experienced, has helped me to learn to walk with him. You model it, you teach it to your children. Cultivate these conditions in a variety of ways, but listen, you cultivate these conditions when you give your life to Jesus Christ. And I say this to you this morning, that we cultivate those conditions in our life when we are spiritually young. Yes, when we're young in age, but when we're spiritually young. In other words, God wants you to give your life to Jesus Christ if, he's, if you're not a a Christian yet, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ yet, but when you do give your life to Jesus Christ, you learn early on to love the Lord. You walk, you cling, you keep, you serve, you do these things on a regular basis. You build these kind of qualities into your life, and when you have these qualities in your life, things will, God will give you that abundant life that he promises us. This idea that Jesus tells us that he has given us a life and given us an abundant life it's not something that's just automatic. It's something that's cultivated. And when you cultivate these things in your life as a young believer, he promises and he comes, and an abundant life comes to pass in our lives in every way. Finally, listen, you cultivate these conditions when you pray and how you pray. You may have kids that are grown and gone students that are grown and gone. But here, what the Lord gives you is a template of how to pray for them from a distance. You may have children, you may have grown adults that are kids of yours that have now gone on and are living their lives, and some of them are not living their lives for Jesus. Maybe you raised them to come to church and you brought them to church and you brought them to all of the kids' things and all of the student ministry, and now they're not walking with God. But here is what God gives you is a template of how you can pray for your children, your grown children. You pray that they would love God, that, Lord, that they would turn to you and that you would become the affection of their heart. God, that, that Lord, that you would help them to walk. Would you teach them to walk towards you in your ways, to keep your word, to keep your commandments, to cling to you, God, not to cling to themselves or cling to the world, to serve you, Lord, with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, would you do this in them? You cultivate those conditions by way of your prayer life because the Lord hears your prayers, 
He moves when his people pray. He moves when people who are righteous and who are righteous living, and you may be following Jesus Christ with, your, with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you're growing to grow closer to him, but your kids are not, and it breaks your heart, and you weep over them time and time again. Take time every day and use this template and pray for your kids. Pray for those kids who are from a distance not walking with the Lord because God uses the prayers of his people. He answers the prayers of his people. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Every day, every morning, new opportunity to gain that perspective. A new opportunity to love, to walk, to cling, to keep, to serve. God puts before us a way in which we can live our lives and experience this abundant life. But you don't live this life on your own. You live it by way of God's grace and by way of God's mercy. Enjoy God's, enjoying God's kind of life is conditioned on you loving and obeying him fully and wholeheartedly with your life. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. Maybe it's a season or a time for you this morning at the end of our service. I want to encourage you to commit yourself to the Lord once again, to love him, to cling, to, to serve him, to walk in his ways, to live the way that God wants you to live, to experience that abundant life. Maybe you've struggled with that as of late. I want you to take some time this morning, the end of our service, and just commit yourselves to living that way again if you're a follower of Jesus this morning. God wants you to have an abundant life. He promises you eternal life, but he wants you to have this abundant life. So take time and just talk to him about that. Maybe an area of your life that God has been speaking to you about during the sermon. This morning, if you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, the Lord loves you. He cares so deeply for you. But you can't live your life on your own. And it's time to surrender to him, to his will for your life. So I'll be down at the front as we stand and sing a song together. And this morning, if you're struggling with that decision or you're ready to make that decision, it takes courage, but I'm going to ask you to come forward and just come down and talk to me about that. We've got some people that are willing to talk to you about that decision, help you through it, but it's the greatest crossroads you'll ever come to in your life. So I want to encourage you to do that. If you're here this morning, you want to join our church, maybe follow through <clears throat> with Believer's Baptism. Let me say this to you this morning, if maybe God's leading you into ministry or speaking to you about ministry of some, at some level, I want to encourage you to come and talk to myself or one of us here at the front about that decision. I want to pray for us this morning, and then we're going to stand and sing this song together, and you have the courage to come this morning and respond to God. God, thank you this morning for your word. <clears throat> thank you this morning for how you've guided and instructed us today. We give this time to you now and help us to be obedient. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Teach my soul to rise to you. Bring
Yes, yes. 